Whether it's singing a duet, walking hand in hand, or playing football, some things are hard to do alone. It's exhilarating for a person who's not a football player, I think. But for our athletes, I think that what they would say is that it feels game-like. It feels comparable to a quarterback that they would have throw to them. Bhargav Maganti, who you just heard, is one of the founders of Monarch, along with Igor Karlicic. Together, these two engineers are revolutionizing football. Through their company Monarch, they've created The Seeker, the world's first robotic quarterback that passes, punts, and kicks. Thanks to The Seeker, players that historically would need a practice partner are able to practice alone. They can get game-like reps on their own time. The technology is already impressing some of the biggest football programs in the country, and Monarch has quickly become part of the vanguard, leading the way to a tech-filled football future. There's so much cool stuff happening right now in the entire industry. The teams that are going to be on top of that are the teams that are going to be winning in the years to come. I'm Kristen Meinzer, and this is Innovation Uncovered from Invesco QQQ. Last season, we shone a light on groundbreaking innovation happening across a number of industries. And this season, we'll go deep on more boundary-pushing innovations with an even greater emphasis on the incredible people behind them. To kick off the season, I sat down with Bhargav Maganti and Igor Karlicic, co-founders of Monarch, the company behind the world's first robotic quarterback. Thank you so much for joining us today on Innovation Uncovered. Thanks for having us. Hi, Kristen. I am so pumped to be talking with you both. Now, I am curious, are the two of you self-professed jocks. Do either of you play football? Both Bargav and I played different sports in high school. Um, Bargav played tennis. I swam and played water polo. So there is definitely an appreciation for athletes and, and what they go through. But to say that we had an experience that is comparable would be false. Mm. Are you football fans, though? Are you people who have your giant foam finger and wave it around every football season? We are now, to some extent. We've had the opportunity to work with a number of athletes from really all levels. And now, yeah, yeah, we're definitely fans. How did you two meet each other? Yeah, so Igor and I met in 2008. We were freshmen at Northwestern University, and we became friends pretty early on. We both studied mechanical engineering, and, and both of us spent a lot of time uh, working in our engineering shop. The reason we were such good friends was that we had common interests, and that was design and creating things. And we had multiple professors, multiple classes that really pushed us to try and think outside the box and treated us as entrepreneurs in a sense. How did two engineering guys running in the same circles who were at the time not football people decide to start a company that is about football? So... At some point along our journey of learning and developing, we actually made a pact where we decided that one day we should create a company, we should build something very cool. So a new piece of tech started emerging, and really it was for indoor positioning. And when we realized that we'd have access to a technology that enables us to track at upwards of 30 times per second, we got mesmerized by it. Previously, what was being used in most sports for tracking people was GPS. But when you have athletes that are running 10 yards a second, that's not something that's going to be fast enough to actually comprehend what's going on. So that idea really was what initially got Igor and I extremely interested in pursuing Monarch full-time and quitting our jobs. Now, for those of us who have never seen The Seeker, 
who are trying to imagine what a robotic quarterback looks like. Can you explain what it looks like and what it's actually made out of? Uh, yeah, if you can imagine a five, six tall robot with a magazine that holds six balls, it weighs about 300 plus pounds and it's made out of a lot of steel and aluminum. There's a screen that's connected from the lower part of the body that you essentially interact with. So it's pivoting, it's tilting back, it's moving around however you need it. And then you have two large rotors again on top that can throw basically the full field. Right. That's one of our main points that we try to articulate to our customers and our users is that we provide game-like reps. And the way that we're able to do that is we have a, a pager-sized st- device that players are able to put on their hips. And with that, we're actually able to track where they are on the field. Right now, it's just distance, so distance away from the front of the seeker. But with that, you can imagine there are a number of different modes that our robot can engage with that athlete. Talk more about why reps are so important. Well, it's the the one thing that they're supposed to do really well. And it becomes very difficult to do that really well when you aren't catching any passes during practice. To put this into perspective, we did some time studies when we were developing at the University of Iowa. We saw that a third string receiver caught as few as 20 passes in the entire week of practice, live reps. And so you think about what this means for the individual, their scholarship, their opportunities to advance, not only within their own roster, but in their careers, and it's crippling. So ultimately, even for those athletes that want to improve and and realize that the best way to hone your craft is to continue to do it as much as you possibly can, they're not able to actually do it. And that's really where we came in. How many times is the seeker going to be throwing a ball in a typical training session? It it really depends, but we've seen, we have one athlete in particular, he's a a high school athlete and he actually gets a thousand catches in every single morning. Oh my gosh. Yeah. See, no training assistant's going to be able to, (laughs) 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 they're going to throw out their shoulder and then they're going to (laughs) collapse on the ground afterward. (laughs) So the the, the problem really goes both ways, right? So just as you mentioned, there's so many more receiving positions and so many more people that need to practice catching the ball than there are throwing positions. But at the same time, quarterbacks, they have to have a, a like limited amount of throws that they're actually throwing. Otherwise, it limits their longevity. So their careers actually start with where they are late high school and early college and the volume that they're throwing. You see at the NFL level, so many quarterbacks that right now are having either shoulder or elbow uh, issues, and they're all on limited, limited throws. So between 100 and 150 throws per practice, and that's for them. So it's, you know, it's a problem that really goes to both sides. So the Seeker looks less like a humanoid robot from a sci-fi movie and more like a polished cousin of the Curiosity rover on Mars. The hulking 300 plus pound robot has an antenna that tracks the sensor athletes wear on their hip. When you flip the Seeker on, you hear the motor spinning. A receiver steps out in front and then you hear consistent thumps and clicks. Those are the sounds of several balls being passed to a receiver. Like the guys said, one of the revelations of the seeker is that it gives receivers and kick returners more reps, while at the same time preventing wear and tear on quarterbacks and kickers' bodies. Science on the long-term effects of playing football has made safety and protection a top priority. The seeker does its part in reducing unnecessary overuse and injury by making the controllable environment of practice efficient and more productive. But it's taken time for Bargov and Igor to perfect the Seeker's sophisticated technology. They performed countless tests on the Seeker and built nine physical iterations before it went to market. 
the seeker wasn't always the elite machine it is today. Can you tell us about some of maybe the earlier iterations of the seeker when it wasn't (laughs) quite as developed and quite as sophisticated? Those early days were definitely very interesting for us. We were essentially learning everything from scratch. So Igor and I are both engineers, but we had never, no one, no one on the team had previously designed a robotic quarterback. So it was starting from the ground up. We actually had uh, nine physical iterations prior to our actual launch product, and then innumerable software iterations, as you can imagine. A lot of uh, complete resets where we had gone down a couple years using a certain tech or, or a certain methodology and realized that, you know what, there's a better way to do this. So let's tear this all apart and, and start again. Now, in the beginning, how did you test this technology? Was it just the two of you and your robot seeker out there playing in a park? Is that what you were doing? Yeah, so we actually did a lot of testing in our, our home, in our office, a small townhouse in Iowa City where we were doing our development. And we actually brought our seeker to our balcony every once in a while. And then we threw balls off the balcony to test where it was going to land. How is the spiral looking? Mechanically, are we sound? And are there any moments you had, though, where things just weren't going right? Where you thought, oh, my gosh, this is not (laughs) going according to plan. (laughs) So one of the things that we did is, so we would work during the day in our townhouse, our entire team. And then at night, we would go and use the facility. Oftentimes, the the practices and the athletes train really late. So we would come in the after hours, usually around 8 p.m. and test as long as we needed to in the solitude where nobody could see us. So we gave ourselves the opportunity to make a lot of mistakes. Sometimes we'd be there in the morning when the the graduate assistants would come in and start setting up the cones for practice at 5 a.m. We're not ashamed of our uh, early development days because it was in that low-key, relaxed environment that we were able to just get a lot of work done. So a lot of the changes in the product were because of the misery that you went through. But how many of the changes were because of feedback from actual users, from actual athletes and teams? So I'd say that, you know, in the initial stages, a lot of the ergonomics and general functionality, that was something that, you know, was influenced by our interactions with the seeker. But really, when it comes to the modes, all of that comes from athletes telling us, you know, what the types of things that they would like to do. Can you give me some examples of what some of those modes are and some of those features and so on that came directly from the players? Uh, yeah. So I guess more more recently, we created a, an automated end-over-end kick functionality. And that was at the behest of a lot of special teams coaches asking for, hey, you know, I, I'd like to be able to vary in a certain way, hit certain yardages. And that's something that we just released last week. Very cool. But I'm curious, a real human quarterback, a non-robotic quarterback, that is, it's not 100% precise. A human is not always going to hit you at exactly the same spot on the field as they did yesterday or even five minutes ago. So is something lost when the randomness of the human experience is taken out of practice and replaced with a seeker? We keep that randomness. So the ability to place a ball exactly where we want and when we want means that we can also mess it up however we want, when we want. So one thing that's actually counterintuitive is a lot of quarterbacks, especially at the higher levels, struggle throwing poor balls during practice. In a game-like situation, uh, a ball might get tipped, uh, a quarterback is under pressure, so they're going to underthrow it, overthrow it. In practice, they literally cannot throw a bad throw. They're just, they're trained to be 
doing the right thing at the right times, right? You're not going to be training to throw a bad throw. We actually have been able to really help out in that regards because we can, again, mess it up if you want it messed up, or we can dial it in exactly how you want it. So you have the ability to choose. Yeah. I, I didn't even think about that. The difference between how people play in a practice versus playing a game, because when you're playing in a game, there's so much interference. Obviously, there's this thing called the opposition. Bargov and Igor's early development days paid off and their freshman year pact to build something very cool has come to fruition. The Seeker is already being used by some big-time football institutions to help players improve their game. 11 college teams, 13 pro players, and a training facility. To get the word out in a sporting world where tradition tends to reign supreme, they quickly realized that pounding the pavement would be their ticket to success. This meant getting in a van and driving cross-country, but with a robotic quarterback riding shotgun. So tell me, at what point did you start to think, we're really onto something here? Yeah, I think that actually takes the story back to when we started doing a lot of road shows. We put our seeker into a van and we drove it across the country, trying to visit a number of college teams and NFL teams and really anyone that would that would see us. And I remember one instance, so we walked onto a field to do a demo. Their head coach came out in the middle of his lunch. He, he saw what the seeker was doing. He walked away a few minutes later, didn't really say too much, but a few hours later, we got a call that they were interested. So I will add to this, though, that our first paying customer actually connected with us on Twitter. They had never even seen it. Sometimes you have those occasions where it, it, it is just somebody calls and they're like, great, I want it. And sometimes you really have to work for it. So we've been on, on both sides of that. But fortunately, the credibility from the teams that are using it right now makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, we actually have roughly 10 teams right now. Some of the customers that are using a seeker right now are Oklahoma, Iowa, LSU, Virginia. Wow. So some big teams, like household name teams are using the seeker at this point. We had the, the luck of interacting with LSU during their championship season a few years ago in, in 2019. We definitely got a lot of publicity out of having one of our two prototypes at the time over at the university, and that season panned out super well. That doesn't just sound like luck to me. They actually improved their game because of you. What we see is uh, winning organizations take an active interest in investing in their teams. And uh, we have a very strong correlation right now with winning organizations. We can't take credit for that, but it really does come down to a staff mentality of investing in the right technologies. And there's so much cool stuff happening right now in the entire industry. The teams that are going to be on top of that are the teams that are going to be winning in the years to come. Mm. Very modest. Listen to that founder sounding all <laughs> modest about his product. I'm curious about if the pandemic has influenced the rollout of the seeker or the people who are wanting to use the seeker at this point. Yeah, it definitely has. Actually, we started acting as the quarantine quarterback. We started connecting with individuals and we provided them an arm when they didn't have one because they weren't able to go back to their camps or didn't have anyone you know, around to throw them the ball. We built out several seekers for players, and several of them came on board as investors as well. Oh, wow. That's a ringing endorsement right there, coming on board. How do you see the seeker and 
Monarch more broadly evolving and scaling over time? What what are you excited about for the future? Yeah, I think really coming back full circle, we were initially really encouraged by the idea of being able to take that data from the new technology that we had identified as compatible with our system and um, provide insights that were never able to be provided before. So I think it's really going back to our roots. At this point, we've created a product that teams are able to really put into use in practice. Athletes are able to put into use out of practice. So coming up with whether it's some form of augmented coaching or insights into exactly how a, a particular route was run or going deeper into the metrics or analytics, I think that's the direction that we as a company would like to go into. Mm. Are there other innovations that you see in the world and you think, oh, that could also change sports or that could change how we train people? I think that right now we're seeing data is exploding in sports. And with such a huge influx of data, I think now it's up to innovative companies to determine how you can use that data and actually provide something that's actionable and useful. One of the the tricky things um, kind of at the beginning of localization data was that it wasn't as insightful. It was very cool, but it, it didn't really tell you very much. And I think that having a, a, a lot of sports scientists on board these companies has changed that. And now teams are using localization for uh, injury prevention, for health metrics, for all sorts of different things. But I think that with this huge amount of data that we're starting to see, uh, we're going to see a lot of new cool uh, things come together from that. Mm. And then do you think that sports practice will fundamentally down the road in the future look different? Absolutely. These are modifications that will have to be made for teams to remain competitive. It's going to be a tumultuous period for all the new tech that's coming out. But uh, ultimately, what we're seeing, especially in football, is fewer injuries and higher performance with each passing year. I think that you'll just see that practice is a lot more smart and there's a lot more uh connectedness and there's a lot more tech that's involved in all sorts of different ways. We're really excited to see what's going to happen. Do you ever think of expanding the Seekers technology to other sports? Do you feel like that technology could even apply to other sports? So it's definitely something that there is a lot of energy around. You know, even being here where we're located in Dallas, we've had, you know, baseball teams reach out to us. For us, there there has to be, whatever we go into, whichever direction, there really has to be that energy, that same energy that we have around football, where the product that we have right now is really transformative. And that's something that energizes us. You know, when Bargav and I made our pact a, a few years ago, we really wanted to do something that was cool. And we wanted to have a company that we would wake up every morning and just go at it because we loved it. And I, I, we found that energy in football. We found that energy with this product. So we'll have to kind of see where, where that energy takes us. Bargav, Igor, thank you so much for joining us today on Innovation Uncovered. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Kristen. Thanks for listening to Innovation Uncovered from Invesco QQQ. On the next episode, we'll hear from Achin Bomek, the CTO of Starkey, a company that's developing the next generation of hearing aid technology. As an engineer, I'm always passionate about exploring and probing the border between possibility and impossibility and pushing that a little further. Always definitely excited about that, but it's the emotional aspect of it. What impact does it have on the millions of people that use our products? Subscribe to Innovation Uncovered now so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review. Thanks for listening. Season 2 of Innovation Uncovered is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. 
What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents. Ordinary people who shape the future by putting their money behind the right ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you to access the innovators of the NASDAQ 100, so you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. To learn more about what this fund can mean for your portfolio, visit Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks involved with investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs are subject to risks similar to those of stocks. Investments focused in the technology sector are subject to greater risk and are more greatly impacted by market volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies traded on the NASDAQ. An investment cannot be made directly into an index. Before investing, carefully read and consider fund investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in prospectus at Invesco.com. The opinions expressed are those of the speakers, are based on current market conditions, and are subject to change without notice. These opinions may differ from those of other Invesco investment professionals. Invesco is not affiliated with T-Brand Studio, Kristen Meinzer, or any of the subjects or companies referenced in this episode. This content should not be construed as an endorsement for or a recommendation to invest in any of the companies referenced in this episode. Invesco Distributors, Inc.